Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. It's the season finale of Big Little Lies on Sunday, so make sure to check out our final episode of our live after show with the Ringer's Amanda Dobbins and ESPN's Mina Kimes. You can tune in on Twitter to Big Little Live right after the episode ends. Also, this week's 2019 Open Championship marks the final major championship of the golf season. So check out Fairway Roland, where Joe House is joined by a cast of Ringer and Golf World personalities for everything you need to know heading into the weekend. You can find new episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. David, ESPN is going to be doing a new daily news podcast in the fall. What I want to know is if we were hosting the ringers daily podcast. <laughs> okay. What stereotypical podcast voice would we want to adopt? I would just like to start this off by saying that one of the most awkward compliments I've received in my three years of the ringer is that I'm good at podcasting. Cause I just don't know. <laughs> my mind immediately goes to like the way I'm going to answer this question, which is like, am I, doing a Mark Maron neurotic thing? Am I deliberately performing? Am I, or like, mm. is the answer like, people listen. There's the Michael Barbaro, you know, daily voice, which is a little bit NPR-ish, but a little bit, it still has a little bit of a, well, unprofessional sounds like I'm being insulting. More no, of a, a I think, an, I think more the of word an unpolished vibe. Yeah, uninflected is what I would say. Uninflected. Like I mean, you're not, now you're not trying to give it any English, right? You're just kind of. Yeah. It's, it's not quite concerned newsman, but it has a certain, this is the daily. This is the daily. Well, there's you know, the, the, the the broader podcast world has a lot of people who are doing shtick, but not news shtick. I mean, like you know, Adam Carolla is doing a is. Do, I mean, I guess he's just playing Adam Carolla. Joe Rogan, kind of the same thing. Kevin Smith is out there, like he's an incredibly gifted orator, but he is you know you can hear him take hits off of his vape pen during the course of the show. He's very <laughs> laid back. Maybe that's the one I would pick. Uh, I was gonna say that sounds like the ringer. As someone who does not regularly take hits off of vape pen in the office, maybe I could just like back into that one. I don't know what do you, what is your choice for this? Well, I'm gonna do it right now. You ready? Are you ready? Oh, please. This is the press box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker here. A bunch of great stuff to get to on today's show. We're going to talk about the racist Trump rally that resulted from the racist Trump tweets. We've got our lead sentence of the week. That's going to be a big honor. We're going to check the pulse of Better O'Rourke's campaign, and I have a feeling there's going to be no pulse, plus listener mail and the overworked Twitter joke of the week. But David, let's start with the news from the world of sports. Those of us who are lucky enough to get sports media press releases in our inbox got one this week announcing that yes. ESPN is getting into the daily podcast game. And wait mm. till you hear what they're calling it. I mean, there's no guesses here. They are calling the new pod the ESPN Daily. Now, was there no worry from Bristol that that was maybe a smidge too close to another popular daily podcast? My reaction upon hearing this news yesterday was and I'm not this is not a joke was that I just assumed it was in partnership with the New York Times because how would they how would they land on that that title without <laughs> that with without without that some sort of partnership in place I mean obviously they can't New York Times doesn't have a have a copyright on the word daily but still that's that's pretty well that's maybe that's not the, the, the what we should spend the next 15 minutes belaboring but <laughs> oh but if we can for just like 15 more seconds remember that incredibly right. <laughs> useless New York Times item that said how the daily got its name 
That was like it ran in the paper. And he would kind of like, don't remember that. Please, please tell me about the deliberations. I actually want to know how ESPN The Daily got its name. I, I do want I do want to know the deliberations because it is a little confusing. Uh, some highlights uh, via Ben Strauss in the Washington Post. This is from uh, Norby Williamson, executive at ESPN. It's not going to be Sports Center. It's not going to be news and highlights. It's not going to be three people sitting around a microphone talking either. Hey, watch it, Norby. We want this to be elevated and highly produced. So he is swimming upstream against, I guess, one, the direction that most podcasts that are not the New York Times Daily are going. But also, even in, even ESPN podcasts are in the three guys sitting around a microphone, right? All that stuff in the Lebetard universe. Yeah. And Zach Lowe and Barnwell and all of our all of our old pals over there. Yeah, I mean the the ESPN Pod Center, and I've not spent a ton of time on the page in the past couple of years, but it's I mean it seems to be their podcast program is pretty evenly divided. Uh, I mean, there's like two, there's kind of two two sections of it, and one is podcasts, and one is uh, other material, be it radio or TV, that is reformatted as podcasts. Um, and the notion of like a daily show, I mean. Listen, ESPN, of all of the news outlets in the world, is best equipped to put this kind of thing together because obviously they're a multimedia enterprise. They have people who are literally on campus ready to go around the clock. Um, you don't have to worry about rescheduling tons of people, presumably. Um, and then, uh, you know, I mean, they and they they are, they have all of the news at their fingertips. They put out the primary sources for all of this stuff. Um but I'm not quite sure how the show, no matter how it ends up being, I mean, we, we've talked before about how everything that goes on ESPN TV, and I think we were, this is specifically in reference to High Noon, but how everything sort of is drawn uh, <clears throat> towards this gravitational center of, of you know, talk shows that they all end up the same. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how different this is going to be than any, of, than any of those or than SportsCenter, no matter how much they're saying it's different. And at the end of the day, I, I'm not sure, even if it is completely different, how much it's really going to feel substantively different than the PTI podcast or than the Dan Levitard show podcast. You know, I mean, these things are already, especially the radio shows, get edited down so much that they're pretty concise pod listens anyway. Once you take out the replays and the commercials and the, you know, the live reads and all the riffing and everything else. I mean, there's only so many ways that you can deliver the day in sports. And they do a lot of that already. My concern to that end would be I'm not sure what the audience for the sports generalism is. Like I know yeah. what it is. I know the news generalist who is like I'm interested in politics and foreign affairs, essentially a subscriber to the New York Times. But mm-hmm. the person who's just kind of interested in all sports and interested in, as Strauss reports, 18 to 25 minutes a day about like one topic in sports. Mm-hmm. You know, ESPN really bet on generalism when they doubled back down on SportsCenter. And I think it turned out well, right? SportsCenter had more life in it than maybe a lot of us thought that franchise did. Yeah, for sure. But this is sort of an interesting, like Norby Williamson's quote in this article saying, uh, he's talking about the free agent Kawhi Leonard signing. The idea would be to put that signing into context. How does it affect the Clippers? How does it affect the balance of power in the NBA? And we have reporters, Zach Lowe, Woj, Brian Windhorst, Stan Van Gundy, who could talk about that. Okay. But Zach, Woj, Winhorst are all talking about it in more depth elsewhere. So essentially, like, because they're talking about it on Zach's podcast and on Woj's podcast and on The Jump and all these other places. So you essentially you're saying, we want the person who wants to know 
a little bit about the Kawhi Leonard signing. And then we'll want to know just a little bit about something else tomorrow. I'm not saying that person doesn't exist, but that sort of that it reminds me more of the person like 20 years ago who used to watch the old school sports center and subscribe to SI and that kind of stuff. And it's just kind of an yeah. interesting audience to go after. I think that there's sort of, and and pardon me for, you know, falling backwards into the sort of meta discussion here. I think there's a sort of inscrutable audience for all these things where like there are people that are listening to the daily that probably that, that were, you know, I mean, the, it's the obvious parallel is like, these are NPR listeners, right? But why are they choosing the daily instead of NPR podcast? And I think that there is a, there is a, you know, a, a, a listenership that is waiting for something to be targeted directly at us, right? So it's like, I don't want to listen to a radio show turned into a podcast. I don't want to listen to a, you know, pre-existing property. I want something that is, that is set, that sets out to be a podcast and is, and is, deli- and is interested in targeting me as a podcast listener. So I think that, I think in some, in some sense, there, there will be people who are interested in, who, you know, who are willing to give it a shot. Um, but at the end of the day, all these things do end up being sort of cult of personality type things. Now, I'm not sure that the ESPN Daily is going to discover the next Dan Lebitard, um, but it could discover the next Michael Barbaro. You know, it could it could it could, you know, help build the next Mike Pesca, you know, on the on, in the sports world. And I and I, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how if they if they are as adept at, at identifying that sort of. It's a totally different sort of, of you know, media figure. And it'd be interesting to see if the ESPN machine is as adept at, at, at defining what that is or, for, you know, casting that as they are, you know, in other in other areas. It's a totally different media figure and also, I think, a different tone because yeah. I think most of the time the sports news is not, you know, if you think of like if we look back at the daily and the kind of like shows they've done, there'd be a lot of Trump, a lot of rise of right wing fill in the blank. Uh, people at the border, people in cages, that kind of thing. But sports news is not going to be tonally like that on a daily basis, I don't think. No. Uh, and it kind of made sense that one of the people that was an internal candidate under consideration, according to Strauss, was Mina Kimes, who you know can can happily work in in that zone, but would be somebody who would be a lot, you know, I don't know, a little bit of a lighter touch than than the heavy news show. Yeah, I mean the daily is I mean, another one of the things that I think the daily has done really effectively is sort of is sort of um uh I don't know if rabbit holing is the best term or just sidebar, you know, sidebar pieces. Um they've done a bunch of really good reporting on China when when China's been in the news for, you know, obviously for trade purposes, but they did a two-parter on the Chinese surveillance surveillance state, but I think the best one was what the West got wrong about China, which is also a two-parter. Um and I think that if ESPN finds a lane somewhere between SportsCenter and, you know, 30 for 30 podcasts where they can um, use some of these 18 to 28 minutes a day or whatever it is to sort of explain the backstory, you know, we hear about um, whatever. I mean, like like Latin American baseball farm systems are sort of back in the news. I mean, I would I, I would probably not Google to find out more about that sort of thing, but uh, but would definitely like you know if 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 a deep dive podcast came into my ears in my queue, I would probably eagerly listen to it. Um, there's a lot of elements of sports that I think um, deserve a you know a, I mean that the ESPN would be well would be well positioned to sort of inform us about if they you know again choose to go that direction. Yeah, and that's stuff that would have been on E60 or yeah. OTL. And then you're sort of creating, I mean, that to me, at the end of the day, these are all about mostly about creating a new product 
rather than creating new journalism. You know, the Times' thing was, how do we, how does the New York Times have a podcast? That was the question mm-hmm. they set out to answer. And, you know, monetarily probably answered it very successfully. And this seems like the same thing to me at ESPN, at least from the Ritz cracker we know about it right now, which is, how do we create an ESPN podcast? How do we get in people's feeds every day? Yeah. And create something that's sort of not Sports Center, but kind of a successor to Sports Center meets OTL meets E60 meets ESPN, the magazine. That kind of like you could you could totally imagine the Wright Thompson postgame interview when one of his pieces comes out. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a little sound that Wright recorded during the interview. And then Wright's talking about, you know, how he uh, drove through the uh, South and, and found his subject sitting on a rocking chair on the porch or something like that. Like that, 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 that pot I could totally imagine right now. Um, yeah, they can't do it too much. There'd be a lot of rocking chairs, but, but I, but I agree. Um, you know, one of the, I mean, I think has been really effective. Another effective thing about the daily is just like the kind of, I don't, I don't know if they're reporting simultaneously in different media at this point, or, but I know some of them, they had to re-report that, you know, that along the way, but just to hear the kind of contemporaneous audio, that sort of thing is, is, um, is you know can be a really effective way to to give people a deeper understanding of the stories that that they're already telling in other formats. Yeah, we had a uh, there was a spirited daily discussion in Ringer Slack, and I will not blow up any of the <laughs> of the perpetrators. <laughs> but, I think, charity. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think one point that was made by uh, Mister X was that a lot of the New York Times stuff is stuff that has already been in the paper. So if you read the New York Times pretty regularly, that is the mm-hmm. daily is less important to you. Now, it may be really cool to hear the way Bill O'Reilly sounded when he was trying to deflect the New York Times reporters questions. And of all people, I am I am the audience for that. But I but I wonder if this is a two at ESPN like you missed. You didn't watch E60. You didn't watch OTL. You didn't read the giant feature that just dropped on ESPN.com. So you're going to consume that through a pod and that makes a lot of sense uh it does make a lot of sense and it's a it's a way to get into people's into people's phones which is now the single biggest goal of any media organization all right david time for the overworked twitter joke of the week where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media twitter made it at exactly the same time please send your nominees to at the press box pod where they will be gratefully received instead of working this week david everyone did the face app thing that made you look old uh, it was an overworked Twitter joke to post a photo of the old you, but in fact, it was just a photo of George Clooney. Thanks to B train for sending that one in, <laughs> by the way, we had what, what a turnaround for the face app thing after everybody read the uh, terms of service where you granted them rights to yeah. your face forever. And I know that's like a standard mm-hmm. thing. And then also that the company was based in St. Petersburg. <laughs> that was fun while it lasted. Uh, Alan corridor. Loyal listener writes in to tell us, David, that uh, it was an overworked Twitter joke to refer to the fourth installment of the Marvel Thor series as Thor, T-H-O-U-R. And at first I thought he was kidding. And then I looked it up and oh, my God, did everyone have that joke this week? Anyway, thanks to Alan for bringing that to our attention. Yeah. Jeez. Just look up Thor. Uh, Noted Brexiteer Jacob Rees-Mogg. British politician celebrated England's first ever win in the Cricket World Cup by tweeting, quote, we clearly don't need Europe to win. Uh, so you're you're working your Brexit uh, 
sloganeering into your sports punditry, which is always a good combination. Wow. It wasn't exactly an overworked Twitter joke, uh, more of an overworked Twitter dunk to remind Riesmog that England's captain is Owen Morgan, who happens to be Irish. So so score one for multinationalism. Thanks to Philip Weefer for that one. And finally, David, we have news from the continuing legal saga of Trump gadfly Roger Stone. Wow. A CNN headline reads this week, quote, Judge Bars Stone from Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write. How can I get this judge to do this to me? <laughs> yes, to thank Gene you. Gene Monterestelli and Ben Gibson. I was, my, fa- my favorite subgenre of tweets are tweets begging to get off Twitter. It's always a, yeah. always a good combo. All right, David, before we move on, let's take a quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by Luminary, a new podcast subscription service with some of the best content around. I'm excited about Luminary. Because it's the only place you can listen to the newest show on the Ringer Network, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999. This is a podcast you cannot miss. Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999, tells the story of a music festival that took place in upstate New York that became a social experiment. There are riots, looting, numerous assaults, and it's all set to a soundtrack of the era's most aggressive rock bands. Incredibly, it was the third iteration of Woodstock, a festival known for peace love and hippie idealism but Woodstock 99 revealed some hard truths about the myths of the 1960s and the danger that nostalgia can engender the Luminary app is free to download and in addition to this can't miss original you can use it to listen to thousands of podcasts including this one whether you're into music TV and film comedy sports and more Luminary has the right show for you check out Woodstock 99 and so much more only on Luminary get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash press box after that it's only $7.99 a month that's luminary.link slash press box for two months of free access luminary.link slash press box cancel anytime terms apply all right david time for the notebook dump and thank goodness there weren't any more trump racist stories this week and we can skip right over that oh wait trump went to greenville north carolina wednesday night and this happened and obviously and Importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. We'll take a five-second pause here just to remind listeners that this is America where the speech is happening, and that is the President of the United States uh, behind the mic there. And David, I know you've seen the video, so you see how Trump steps back from the mic a little bit, puts his both hands on the podium and does yeah. everything to encourage that chant short of putting cupping his ears like Hulk Hogan. Like he he absolutely wants that chant. Um, and as John Chait noted over at New York, Trump's defenders spent the week after his super racist go back to attacks basically coming up with this defense saying, no, 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 Trump Trump wasn't being racist. He was just saying if people aren't happy in the United States, which is a great country, they 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 don't have to stay. They can leave. It was almost like when Robert Altman was going to move to France when George W. Bush got elected. Oh, we just, we're just yeah. offering people the chance. Then he goes into North Carolina and everybody is yelling, send her back, which is not a phrase of, oh, hey, you know, if you don't like the United States, maybe you should just uh, you, you're, you're totally free to go somewhere else. That was uh, that was just a racist thing. So 
I guess if anything else, it it uh, it reset the conversation back to its original parameters. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, I mean, I know that this is a conversation we've had before. We had this, we've talked about it last week, but in a broader sense, like why, what is the, what is the, what is the, 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 the why did, why are people interested in trying to come up with like, like philosophical defenses of like, of, of Trump, of Trump's clear racism? People or even who, if it's not the people ri- who don't work in the White House or people who just are we talking about who are we talking about here? Just just anybody. But I guess if you're in the White House, you get sent out there. Right. But I mean, but like other Republicans, like what is what is the point in trying to in trying to, uh, you know, find a find an explanation and find a false explanation for this stuff? I mean, it just seems it just seems like such a waste of everybody's time. I guess if you really want to get on TV and you know you're going to be asked that, then you got to find some way to dismiss it. But um, I think honestly, you know, the the answer to that question is. Trump says something racist. These mm-hmm. people are in the halls of Congress. Reporters walk up to them and said, what do you make of this tweet? Or yeah. what do you make of this statement? And they don't feel whatever they believe. And I'm, I'm sure some of them don't think it's racist, but whatever they believe, they can't say this is racist. So then you get those weird torture things or they just run away from the reporters altogether. It's yeah. uh, it's a weird deal. Speaking of making excuses or making up weird scenarios, how about the weird three-dimensional chess thing that Trump uh, is allegedly playing that came up again after these tweets? I saw Jake Tapper, who had talked to a bunch of anonymous House Democrats, saying this. Uh, This is him quoting one of those Democrats. The president won this one. What the president has done is politically brilliant. Pelosi was trying to marginalize these folks, a.k.a. the squad, and the president has now identified the entire party with them. Uh, Tapper also goes, what are Dems focused on? Is is it what will help the class of 2018, largely more moderate than the squad, get reelected? Uh, then quotes another representative. The president's words and actions speak for themselves. We need to focus on the issues that got them here. Jobs, health care, et cetera, et cetera. Do you believe for a second? I think there's actually two parts. Do you believe part number one that Trump is doing this as part of some evil diabolical scheme. And number two, do you think that answering Trump's racist remarks actually sets the Democrats back in any way? Uh, okay, there's two very different things. I think that mm-hmm. um, I think that that uh, a lot of the response um, to Trump's, I mean, a, a lot of the I get defense might not be the right term, but you know. If you choose to believe that Trump is not just a virulent racist who has, you know, un- unfortunate and un- unfettered access to Twitter, um, then I guess the only thing, the I mean, the only other option is that he's doing it, that he is, that he is using racism in a very deliberate way to say, come up with new catchphrases for his, for his voters, you know, for his attendants to chant at, at future pep rallies, um, which is. I think by any definition, even worse than being a racist, but that's fine. Set that aside. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that if you take that, then yes, I think there's every reason to believe that Trump is deliberately sort of unmarginalizing those uh, congresswomen. Although I'm not sure that he's doing it specifically because, you know, to spite Nancy Pelosi and more because I think that in his mind, those are those are easy targets. Um, for the sort of voter he's trying to energize. Um, that's that's all, right. 
but Tar- but I'm not sure the kind that, of targets that, he's picked before people of color exactly yeah and I'm not sure that there's much Women. of a distinction between between I mean whether or not he's trying I think spiting Nancy Pelosi is you know might be a, a happy accident along the way but I, I can't imagine that he's um <clears throat> that he's thinking along those lines maybe he is who knows I'm not, I'm not sure there's there's much of a difference at the end of the day um to your other question about whether this is going to affect the Democrats at all I mean listen. I do think that there is a vicious cycle circle that like uh, that that wherein people in the news media like Jake Tapper, no offense to Jake Tapper, but yes, uh, you know, talk about a thing being significant and then it becomes, you know, item one on the next episode of the show and then it becomes the going concern and it actually does affect the votes because all the people that tune into the news are hearing about is how this negative thing is happening. I do think that that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that this sort of like gatekeeping or provincialism inside the Democratic Party is going to is a I'm not sure if Nancy Pelosi had her way that would have been a net positive, just like, uh, you know, anybody that tried to, you know, the Democratic establishment that was aligned truthfully or, or you know, or falsely against Bernie Sanders four years ago um, was not doing the Democratic Party any service. Right. Um and I think that, that that we're looking at this wide open primary right now, and and you know it's difficult to kind of absorb all the different um, candidates and their their varying degrees of legitimacy. But I think that it's important for us to not dismiss people because of weird con- because of like you know ironclad concepts of age or gender or race or anything else, and what's what what is or is not electable. And I think that this sort of falls into that same that same um, discussion where it's like I'm not I don't know that 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 Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's presence on the news is going to negatively affect Democratic voter turnout. And I think to assume that it does is at best creating a self-fulfilling prophecy or at worst. I don't even know which one that is. That's right. And I'm not even sure the self-fulfilling prophecy works because you remember right before the 2018 midterms, it was going to be all about the caravan. That was it. And Trump had brilliantly brought the caravan into the news and then the Republicans got trounced anyway. Josh Barrow makes this point in a tweet. He says, by taking the bait, Democrats are giving Trump the news cycle he wants, but that does not necessarily mean they are giving him a news cycle that helps him politically. And I and I think that's actually a really good way of making the point. Trump often thinks if I just get people talking about immigration and if I demonize immigrants, that will help me. If I you know, wade into racial waters here and demonize these four members of Congress, that will help me. Just because the Democrats then go back at them, there's it's not obvious that that helps him at all. And I and I think yeah. it probably doesn't. Because again, one thing we learned from 2018 is Trump needs suburban voters. The Republicans yes. need suburban voters. Suburban he, voters don't like this kind of thing. Yeah. They don't. If there's no, anything, and they, if there's anything and they, we know is that they don't like this kind of thing because we just had a ton of evidence. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think that this is where uh, the campaign from four years ago is going to, you know, if there if there is a sort of cloistered element to Trump or to the people around him, if there is a bubble, this is really where it's going to negatively impact the, the the campaign. It's one thing to make jokes about Trump not believing his pollsters or firing them if he's not if they don't get given the answers that he wants, but like his exposure to his popularity is at these rallies and if the and the rallies are not going to change in size or scope or they might get bigger for all we know who knows the more racist and more offensive that he gets maybe he attracts more and more people but 
those people, the, the people that show up for his rallies are voting. I mean, that we, we are, I mean, that's, that's their, their votes are already cast. Um, it's, but, but that's not going to be enough to win an election now on its own. Now there are a lot of other factors. That doesn't mean Trump's going to lose. That doesn't mean anyone, you know, on the, on the other side can get complacent. Um, but it is, you know, in so much as those suburban voters you talk about are more likely to vote than maybe some others. I mean, that that's a that's a that could be a real problem for his campaign. When we start talking about his diabolical plans to win re-election, it just it starts to sound like a QAnon theory after a while. Yes, you know, absolutely. Trump Trump put Acosta in the cabinet in order to to direct attention at Jeffrey Epstein. Like, it was like, wait, what? I I I don't think Trump is capable of playing three-dimensional chess on the level he is often given this is what i would say though i think somewhere in his reptile brain he is is sort of pushes himself at any kind of fissure he sees he did this effectively with hillary and bernie back in 2016 because Mm -hmm. he understood i don't know if he could articulate it i don't know if he knows anything about it but he understands that like bernie and hillary represent two different factions of the democratic party. And I can drive a wedge in there and just try to muddy up the waters enough so that either Bernie people won't vote for Hillary, or maybe a few people picked off from me or just, just create tons of confusion. I think that's what he's doing here. It's just Trump being attracted to any kind of, any kind of fissure, any kind of split in his opponents. And, you know, he doesn't know the the political differences between Nancy Pelosi and the squad. He would call he would call all those people socialists, not just the squad, by the way. Mm-hmm. He, he, he has no he has no idea, but he knows that they are at least if not at odds, at least sort of, you know, representing separate wings of the Democratic Party. And so he just dives right in in his own spectacularly ugly way. And that's yeah, I again, think I don't I think that's that's all the credit I can give him. And I don't know if he knows what the result's going to be. I don't know if he has a plan beyond that. But I think he is just attracted to those kind of splits. I think that I think that's right. I think that about sums it up. We could try to break down whether or not the uh, if, if if it's an act of logic that leads one from a from that point of view to like, a, you know, go back to fill in the blank comment uh, or if that's just a passive you know, element of one psyche, but I guess we can save that for another installment. That'll be for uh, psychology edition next week. All right, David, the lead of the week. This was sent to us by a bunch of people. I, I, I saw Nash Cato and Jesse McIntosh. Uh, so we had to read it. It was from a New York post article that was titled man caught with $34,000 worth of cocaine under his wig. And if you see the New York Post piece, there are helpful photos showing the wig rolled back so you can actually see where the cocaine was stored under the wig. Um, How did we become like the cocaine trafficking podcast? I don't understand. (laughs) I don't know. Just wait, by the way. Uh, We're going to come around to that again, too. Anyway, Jerome Steinbuck wrote the New York Post lead, uh, which is is quite good and goes right to our love of puns. Are you ready for it, David? This Please, is about the yes. man storing $34,000 worth of coke under his wig. Quote, he had hell to pay. <laughs> he had hell to pay. Congrats to your own for your service in journalism. By the way, this is also the perfect tabloid story because, of course, I see this. and I'm like, oh, wow, they busted this guy at JFK, right? No, no. It's a Colombian man that was arrested in Spain. So this is important news to the people of New York that we should know about this Colombian man arrested in Spain. 
for drug trafficking. And by the way, to bring it back around, this is yet another Spanish airport drug scandal. This is our second. This is like our second week in a row. <laughs> the cocaine in Spain falls mainly on this guy's head under his wig. I don't know the rest of the rhyme there. That's that's weird. Amazing. So if we could just put out a, a call to listeners, please keep sending in uh, your drug trafficking stories. <laughs> uh, we, we might have to have a separate segment here. David, our next section is called Beto, get your act together. <laughs> because uh, tonight, Thursday, CNN is going to do that ludicrous draft lottery for the second Democratic debate on July 30th and 31st coverage here at the Press Box. Your daily reminder. Uh, Beto O'Rourke is already qualified for the debate, but he may not be in the Democratic primary race in any real way anymore uh beware of all polls especially poll with polls with a five percent margin of error like the saint anselm college survey of new hampshire but beto came in at zero and he was also the rare democrat whose approval rating is actually in the red his second quarter financing uh plummeted that's the official political journalist verb to 3.6 million beto had raised 9.4 million in the first quarter and then this, David, from Robert Zimmerman, Democratic donor and guy who people call for political quotes. He tells the Washington Post, I'm a great admirer of Beto O'Rourke's, but he has to perform the third act of Aida in the next debate to be considered a serious prospect again. <laughs> wow. I can't, I, can't, I, wow. I, I can't decide whether I want to hit you with a question about Beto or the third act of Aida. Uh, you better go with so the we... former because I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> equipped to answer the letter. What do we think? What happened to Beto? Did, did anything happen to Beto or was Beto just hapless and hopeless from the beginning? Because he wasn't from the beginning. Yeah, that's, I was going to say the exact <laughs> same thing. I think the next headline for Beto is I was born for this question mark. Uh, but the uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that he's... I mean, there's a really strong case that he uh, is proof of the complete lack of power of the mainstream media <laughs> or at least the... Uh, the whatever category you put Vanity Fair and HBO into, um, that you know you can roll out the carpet for somebody and and name them the spiritual heir to JFK or anybody else, and it really is utterly meaningless if they're not uh, an establishment candidate or if they're not a um, you know forcing their way into the conversation on in places like Iowa. Um, can I play devil's and, advocate on that point for just one second? Go Are ahead. we sure it is not proof of the power of the mainstream media, but the that power we were... to accidentally cut somebody's legs out from under them in what should be a you know neutral profile or a documentary that praises their effort, but people actually consume those things and look and go, eh, I don't think that guy should be president. I, I got enough information and I'm all good. That's actually, I mean, that's a really smart point. Um, I think that... Um, uh, I mean, maybe if that's true, then that's then then the case is like keep your head down in general. But I don't know. I mean, I guess you can you can look at you can look at um, you know some of the 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 lower polling candidates. Yang is a good example where people are just sort of like, I don't really understand this, and but I kind of want to know more. Uh, and maybe if, maybe if there had been <laughs> what a compliment. Maybe if there had been you know a ten thousand word. Atlantic profile that only a man could write that like we would some that would be the place that everybody went to and if there was damning information into it in it then everybody or you know uh, a damning scene that was painted in it then maybe everybody would be you know would read that and immediately jump off the the Yang bandwagon I mean I'm just spitballing here um, but I do think that like 
we were we were in an era where um you know being anointed can be a bad thing and uh i mean because the backlash sometimes the backlash is more powerful than any sort of um whatever the opposite of backlash is <laughs> and uh and part of it is that you have to have momentum you know you have to you you can you can run a campaign of going out and 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 you know riling up a crowd and giving good speeches but there's only so many of those that MSNBC even is going to put on TV, right? I mean, I think they put on his 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 announcement, and I don't know if he was if they ever just put him on unedited again. Um, you have to give people a reason to to cover you, and it's not, and and maybe that's more important than giving people a reason to vote for you. Beto to me never answered the question of why should why should he be president, and it was clear from that I was born to be in it bit from the beginning because that didn't answer the question of why should we vote for you well why should we vote for you guy who has a thin resume but just ran a kind of semi-inspiring senate campaign pete yeah. Buttigieg has done a better job i'm not sure pete Buttigieg has totally answered that question but i think he's given people the outlines of an answer as far as i can tell beto hasn't given anybody an answer to that question yeah, uh, and I think even if he had i think that that's that i was born to be in it line was just sort of so that that came to sort of that swallowed the entire campaign, right? So even if he had given us a, a a proactive reason for why he should be president, the average voter, even who's paying attention now, remembers that quote and thinks that that's as deep as he got. Does that make any sense? Yeah. No, I think that's did right. That just sort of did that that became the answer, even if even if there's more answer out there. And it highlighted his worst qualities or his like least presidential qualities. Mm-hmm which was, ah, I'm just this kind of guy and I think I should run and I'm young and sort of, and seemingly not very deep. And, you know, I've, I've said a couple of times that I, I think the Beto, the Beto, the post campaign Beto story is going to be amazing. It's going to be one of the most emotive, why it all fell apart profiles of all time. And, but now that we talk about this, I think I want to see the, the, the after action report on the Vanity Fair profile. Can we, can we get Neiman's storyboard in here or something and just talk yeah. about like how, how that came together and how that accidentally undermined Beto's campaign? I mean, to me, that's a fascinating story totally. because I'm, I'm not sure that that didn't just, you know, again, I'm, I think part of the, the biggest problem here is Beto. The biggest, the single biggest problem is his manner. And again, as I said, his inability to answer the question of why he should be president, but I think you can look back at that and say, can we get in the time machine? Beto puts his head down and all he does is visit every Iowa County for the better part of a year. And what do his numbers look like? Does he win Iowa? I don't know. But maybe that just launch was just absolutely the worst thing for him. It's a fascinating question. Speaking of fascinating, David, can we talk about the pundit career of Rahm Emanuel? (laughs) Former yes, Chicago mayor, can. yeah, Obama chief of staff, Congressman Clinton Apparatchik is joining ABC News. This is yet another gig for Emmanuel after he joined the Atlantic, of course, as a contributing editor and joined the Athletic to cover sports business. I just made the last part up. Stop covering sports <laughs> business. In he's got. If I, I the joke should have been he's going to cover European soccer for the Athletic. You might have, exactly. You might have, people might have actually believed it. Um, I think my question here for you is. What is the upside to hiring Rom as a pundit for any of these people? What are you going to get out of Rom? Well, you're going to get get a talented talking head. Are we sure that he's good? To quote the boss, 
Are we sure he's a talented talking head? I feel confident in saying that he's above the talking head Mendoza line at CNN. That he's an, he's a, just as far as you know ability to fill airtime with nonsense. He's he's in net. He's probably <laughs> okay. a net positive for their site. Okay, he would not stand out. He would not stand out for the worse on political television. Okay, I'll grant you no, that. I, what I think else? The, I think. I think he's sort of a signifier of, you know, different the different stations of politics, right? I mean that you probably I think they're probably just imagining election night and having um, you know, a Bush uh, someone with the from the Bush the George W. Bush administration from the Obama administration, uh somebody probably from inside the Trump administration, um or at least the Trump campaign, uh your old school commentariat, maybe your, you know, Paul Begala's of the world or whatever, but like I think that that he's just sort of he fills a segment for for uh, for CNN, or he he fills a slot for CNN, and and I think and I I think that, um, you know our our friends at at a uh, Pod Save America aside, I mean of all the people that were involved with the Obama campaign, he's probably one of the better the better talking heads, and certainly more appropriate for the sort of traditional ABC audience. It's funny to me when TV networks. Ha- higher commentators because I often think it's just it's it's almost like sports networks hire ex-athletes the biggest thing is to get a big name and the second mm-hmm. thing is to get somebody who actually knows how to talk about politics well on television or will yeah. actually come out and say something like the crooked media guys will actually yeah. be interesting and I think like to me Rom if he's going to be interesting I read his um his maiden voyage in the Atlantic, which was a piece called it's time to hold American elites accountable for their abuses. <laughs> did, did, did he headline that? Or did somebody at the Atlantic say we, we never want to get a headline? That's just going to make Twitter hate you even more. We, yeah. We're just going to, this is going to go out there and people are just going to, people are going to be mad at you before they read one word of this thing. We know as writers, you should never, you should never blame the writer for a lousy headline, but it's really fun to do it when it just sings exactly like you think it should. <laughs> <laughs> That's the that's the let Detroit go out of business of the uh, of 2019. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think the um, I think Rom could be interesting if he really wants to lean into. We can't let the Democratic Party into the hands of progressives because that's what he clearly believes. And and as you and I have said, no matter what you read on Twitter, that is the very live battle that is happening in the Democratic primaries. Uh-huh. This is why Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris has three or four or five answers about what medical plan she, what healthcare plan she supports. This is the tension from the Biden campaign and the Warren campaign, the Sanders campaign. I mean, this is just to me, if, if he were willing to own, I am the voice of democratic centrism and these people are going to ruin our party. And I'm going to lean into that as, and, and take as much fire for that position as I can. Eh, I'm kind of interested. Kind of. But um, but that's about it. All right, David, how about some listener mail? Sounds good. We have some further Fia rehab that Chris sent us. Uh, he's making Guy Fieri, that is, whose rehabilitation in public we are endlessly interested in, is making ribs for people who are going to storm Area 51. That whole bit. <laughs> I'm not sure. Wait, by the way, Kate Nibbs <laughs> wrote about that beautifully on our site this week. Uh I'm not sure that just like injecting yourself into <laughs> meme stories is like the way it is is really counts as rehab, but I guess you know whatever. It's 2019. The uh, New York Rangers podcast, Blue Shirts Breakaway, 
sent that to us as well and said, aren't you guys kind of responsible for all this at this point? And I don't believe that, but I'm starting to feel we might need to cancel the segment. I, I, I was, I thought, I thought Guy Fieri was, was canceled last week after the whole SVU bit. <laughs> in an abundance back. of caution, in an abundance of caution, we've listened to our readers and we've decided to edit Guy Fieri out of all preceding <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> uh, it's done. I'm just, I'm, I, I think this, I, I think this segment is key. I think we, I think we've reached the end of this segment. Either, either Guy Fieri is just, either we haven't answered the question or we just, we don't actually want the question to be true. We don't want him to reveal the bill. Anyway, it's over. So don't send those anymore. Don't send those to at the press box. Uh, David Tuesday's strain pun headline, which was a story about chess was grandmaster flush. <laughs> grandmaster flush. I just, it I just sure walk was. around, walk around my hotel room saying grandmaster flush all day. It was about a chess player who cheated in the bathroom. Listener Sanic Hedgehog thought the proper strain pun should be king caught on throne. Which is not, <laughs> not bad. Pretty, pretty chessy. Andy Cliver writes in to say that he was convinced it was going to be stallmate. It's a checkmate, I guess. Stallmate, <laughs> which is kind of like stalemate. That stalemate. Takes a few... Stalemate. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But th- that takes a few jumps, right? Yeah. Oh, no, right. I guess stall- no, stallmate works. Stalemate is a chess thing, right? Sure. Uh, and Ben Wilinski, Ben Wilinski, Wilinski, excuse me, thought it would be Master Mater. The guy was a chess master. This is not actually. I was just cheating in the bathroom, by the way. I think I think Ben is confused what was actually happening in that story. <laughs> maybe, maybe go back and edit that one out too. Got a couple of uh, emails, uh, a couple of tweets that I should say from Matt Carroll, and one from Modest Yahoo. Pointing us to the new issue of ESPN, the magazine, where the aforementioned Mina Kimes writes a cover story on Baker Mayfield. The picture has Mayfield walking his dogs or someone's dogs. And the headline is Mayfield and the Browns have a new leash on life. A new leash on life. Oh, my God. That's good. That's good. I was when I was in Albuquerque, there was like a pet spa called new leash on life. So I think that's (laughs) probably one of those that's uh, that's in the world. No, I'm pro this. This is great. This is great. All right. Now it's time for everybody's favorite segment, including David's, which is David Shoemaker guesses the strain pun headline. Great. David, we always take a pause here so that David can moan out loud. Uh, (laughs) This is from Jesse McIntosh. This is the second contribution of Jesse on this podcast. I don't know if you saw this, David. I hope you didn't. But it comes from the venerable journal Current Opinion in Microbiology. I'm not kidding. (laughs) That's not real. It's real. I mean, I believe that a journal with that name exists, but I don't believe that this is how how the rest of the journalism world has has failed this week. If we're going to current, what do you say? Current opinion in macrobiology, microbiology, microbiology. Don't don't get confused. You might miss the headline. Current opinion in microbiology. All right. And then want to incite any biology turf wars here. Go ahead. I, I can't. I couldn't actually pull up this piece. Um. <laughs> I'm sure there's an expensive <laughs> subscription. This is an academic journal. It makes well, sense. it's an academic journal. It took a little. It took a little while to find. I hope this is real. By the way, hopefully we're not being pranked. I don't think we are. Uh, <laughs> the subheadline is the hidden diversity of dimorphic fungal pathogens. Now that's not what you would call funny exactly, but the headline is funny, and I don't know what to do with this, David, other than to tell you it's about yeast, many varieties of yeast. Just that's all I get is it's an it's an academic article about <laughs> yeah. yeasts. Okay, let me like I'll just microbiology. Give you a more. It's, it's a little. It's it's an article about 
It's an article that conveys, at least in the headline, an enthusiasm about many varieties of yeast, where one could potentially locate many varieties of yeast. Okay. I just uh, if you rhyme if you rhyme the word yeast, you're going to get yourself there. Trust me. It re- immediately went to one of the fa- one of my favorite childhood films, The Beastmaster. Okay, you've, uh, you've, you've, you've hit the rhyme. The, but yeast master is, I'm assuming, not it. That that doesn't no. really fit the rest of what you said. Go go with beast. Beast. Remember, okay. these are these are really great yeasts. Really great. And this is where you would locate them. Yeast of the Southern Wild? No. <laughs> You're close. It's no. related to one of the biggest pieces of IP huh? right now in Hollywood. Yeah, there, there might be a ringer podcast about this. Come on. Wait a second. You got to give me Mallory, a second here. Mallory Rubin. I know. I'm, I'm, the, I'm already at Mallory Rubin. I just got to I'm going through. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, Fair. God. Fantastic yeasts and where to find them? There you yeah. go. Congratulations. <laughs> Fantastic yeasts and where to find them. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic! I bet the editors at Current Opinion and Microbiology were just like, had, were just sitting on that title for two years, waiting for somebody to write that piece. It says the December 2019 issue. Are we are we absolutely sure this is true? Do the do, do, do journals just come out like six months in advance? It is feasible that an academic, that a quarterly journal would already have announced their December cover or something like that. Announce <laughs> their cover. They don't do like a. They don't do like the New Yorker and publish it on Friday before the thing comes out. So the cover's pretty. I think what is isn't grim. the deal with the with the cover with the cover month that that tells the people in the newsstands when to take them off take them out. So I think some of those the, like the what? quarterlies or, or biannuals are way out in advance. In which newsstand were you envisioning that I would find current opinion in microbiology? Would that be like Grand Central Station or something? Just go outside and listen for like the the kid with the Cockney accent shouting extra extra. That's it. By the way, I did look this up, and "Fantastic Geese and Where to Find Them" is a fairly popular pun headline. This is not the first, but anyway, congrats <laughs> to the fine folks at the journal Current Opinion in Microbiology, which um, which you should pick up immediately. <laughs> it's your sold wherever fine uh, microbiology journalists journals are sold. I am Brian Curtis. He is David Shoemaker. Chris Almeida is on research. Jim Cunningham is on production. More big meaty lukewarm takes about the media next week see you later boys see you man david sure how do we create a podcast uh you ready are you ready? Oh, please. I just, I just walk around my hotel room saying Grandmaster Flush all day. Okay. Cupping his ears like Hulk Hogan. Uh, this is real, by the way. Sure. Now, that's not what you would call funny, exactly. Whatever the opposite Big, of Big, meaty, funny. Uh, I don't really understand this, but I kind of want to know more. <laughs> what a compliment. Maybe if there had been, you know, a Beastmaster. That's weird. That was fun while it lasted. Please keep sending in uh, your drugs. Grandmaster Flush. Grandmaster Flush. Grandmaster Flush. Grandmaster Flush.